This week on Blue 58, a draft pick is already injured. Does that mean another veteran free agent should come to Green Bay? The Packers will also be lining up with more tight ends in 2017, and this year's draft class is more important than you might think. We'll tell you why. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the official podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. We are powered this week as we are every week by WTMJ Mobile. I am your host, John Meerdink, joined today by co-host Gary Zillaby. Gary, how are we doing? It's a great day to be great, John. Great day indeed. Let's dive right in with some headlines. The first, a rumor that we are officially stoking both on the site and here at Blue 58. Elvis Doomerville could be headed to Green Bay, and he might need to be taking the spot, at least for the short term, of fourth-round pick Vince Beagle. We'll start with Doomerville. The Packers did draft Beagle as a pass rusher, but they have some extreme levels of confidence in Kyler Fackrell and J. Rowan Elliott. Doomerville, though, has experience in a 3-4 defense. He's been very productive, uh, high double-digit sacks as little as just a couple of years ago. The flip side of that is he's getting older. He's not quite as old as Julius Peppers when he came to Green Bay. But he also is coming off a significant injury, having torn his Achilles tendon at least partially last year. He said on the official website of the Baltimore Ravens that he thought it could be as much as 60% torn. However, given the more or less still lack of depth at pass rusher for the Packers and the uncertainty surrounding Vince Beagle with his injured foot, do you think Doomerville is worth a shot, Gary, right now? You know, John, it's hard to say either yes or no to this. Because we don't really know what the Packers think of their undrafted free agents at outside linebacker. The Packers have historically taken a guy from that undrafted class at outside linebacker, maybe more so than any other position. Uh, Here's what I do think. I I think it's interesting that of those undrafted free agents at outside linebacker, the Packers have signed guys who have college experience standing up and rushing the passer. In previous seasons, they've tried to convert college defensive ends to outside linebackers. Think of guys like Vic So Oto or Jaron Elliott. I'm, I'm just not that overwhelmed when I look at the crop of undrafted free agents at linebacker on the roster. Ultimately, despite the Achilles tear, I do think Doomerville has a little gas left in the tank. If it were my money and my roster, I'd sign him. I would sign him too. And the, and the money, I guess, he is going to be a, a little bit of a rub there. But I think... Actually, Christian Michael is a good example of the sort of deal that you might be able to offer a guy like Doomerville to see if he's at least interested. Before he was cut after the Packers drafted, you know, a bushel basket full of running backs this year in the draft, they they gave Michael a something like $770,000 deal with a $25,000 signing bonus. The exact figure is not not super important there. The point is they they didn't throw a lot of guaranteed money his way. And as a result, releasing him was not super expensive. Doomerville could be sort of the same. And I think, like you say, if it was my money and my roster, that might be the sort of direction that I would like to go. The flip side of that is if you're just going to sign him to see what he has, or if you think you're you're just going to you know, have him as a rotational rusher, there's no reason to sign him right now. You wait around and see if one of these undrafted guys jumps out and turns out to be something, and then... If you still need someone in late August, then you sign Elvis Doomerville. I don't think they're going to make the move right now, but I think if you're going to bring in one more veteran free agent this offseason, it would be Elvis Doomerville. We should spend a little bit of time talking about Vince Beagle's 
uh, injured foot. He had surgery in the not-too-distant past after rookie minicamp to repair what is called a Jones fracture. It's a small break of one of the smaller bones in your foot. It is the same injury that caused him to miss a couple games during his final season at Wisconsin. How concerned are you about this, Gary? I'm not ultimately too concerned about it, John, because the surgery will take place before training camp starts. Uh, However, that injury is something that is more prone to happen again once you've had that surgery once. So it's something we'll have to keep an eye out on, but uh, I think it's good we got it out of the way before training camp starts, and he may have to open up the season on the pup list, but I'm, I'm not too concerned about his availability for the season. I'm not super concerned about it right now, but it is the sort of thing that I want to watch for the future because those leg injuries especially, it seems like leg and joint injuries have a way of recurring. Clay Matthews with his recurring hamstring issues. Eddie Lacy had ankle problems throughout his entire time in Green Bay. Feet you just don't want to mess around with. And if this is a cleanup thing that they just put off while he was at Wisconsin, that's one thing. But if he's re-injuring things or, or or having issues again with something that was thought to be put to rest in the past, that would be something you want to keep an eye on in the future. And it's something that we're going to, to have to be aware of as Beagle goes through his time in Green Bay. Let's switch over to the offensive side of the ball. We're going to explore here how the Packers could use multiple tight end sets a little bit more in 2017 than they did in the past. It's not going to be hard for the Packers to use them more in 2017 than they did in 2016 because according to data from sharp football stats they barely used them at all last year according to that website they were 31st in the league in their use of two tight end formations but as you may remember Gary they signed Martellus Bennett and Lance Kendricks this offseason leading us to believe that they could be using those sets a little bit more do you think this is something that could be beneficial for the Packers offense I do think it is, John, and it it comes down to something that we've talked about a lot, and that's getting the best players on the field. If you'll remember back to last season when Eddie Lacy and James Starks found themselves injured and unavailable, the Packers moved Ty Montgomery to running back uh, in order to keep their best personnel on the field, and it paid off. At the tight end position, though, I'm fascinated to see how the Packers are going to deploy both Kendricks and Bennett. Now, Bennett's a guy who really thrives in the red zone. I would expect to see him on the field there. Uh, Kendrick's a bit more athletic, could be a nicer target when they're starting on offense deep on their own side of the field. If you're going to put both of those guys, Bennett and Kendrick's, on the field together, what you're ultimately saying is that those two are more dangerous weapons than guys like Jamal Williams, Aaron Jones, Trevor Davis, D'Angelo Yancey, Geronimo Allison, Malachi Dupree, and yes, Jeff Janis. And I think it's important to to remember something that you pointed out there, the physical difference between Bennett and Kendricks. Bennett is a tight end's tight end. He's a big, strong guy, six foot six, you know, whatever his weight is between 260 and 280 pounds, somewhere in that range. Just a big, big target, the, the stereotypical big target. Kendricks, and you get the get a sense of this, even if you watch highlights just briefly, is a lot squattier than Bennett. He's three inches shorter. Uh, he still weighs 250 pounds, but he's built a lot more like what you would call a, a typical H-back, a guy who kind of lines up as a wing near near one end of your formation or the other. 
and uses his athleticism against linebackers, not so much against defensive backs, but against those linebackers. That's something you'll have to keep in mind if you see the Packers deploying Bennett and Kendricks together, the physical differences and the, and the, the skill sets that comes along with that. Finally, we're going to take a look at why the 2017 draft class could be important for reasons that you may not have considered. This year's draft class, and last year's actually, super important not just for this year, but for three to four years down the road. Think about this. It, it generally takes two, three, even four years for some players to come into their own, to become who they're going to be as NFL players. Three or four years from now, Aaron Rodgers is going to be 37 or approaching 38 years old. This could be the class or the pair of classes that really sets up the last ride of Aaron Rodgers. Gary, does pondering the end of Aaron Rodgers' career make you think about your own mortality and the ever-encroaching grasp of death that ultimately takes us all? Me Almost too. constantly. Uh, but more seriously, do you see this as a patch-up draft class or one that could have a bigger impact down the road? It's a bit of both, John, and I think that's why so many people are so enamored with the Packers Hall in this draft. I don't like draft grades, but everybody says that we have good draft grades, so I will like draft grades this year. Not only did the Packers address the secondary with Josh Jones and Kevin King, who both logically fit in really already well-defined positions on the defense, but they also added different body types and skill sets on the offensive side that they haven't had in quite some time. Ultimately, it's a patch-up draft class, but it's also one that has a real opportunity to make a big impact. I think these aren't so much plug-and-play guys as plug-and-grow guys. The thing that I like about King and Jones especially is that they are already athletic upgrades over guys that played their same positions last year. So assume that King is going to have one of the two starting corner jobs at some point during the season. He's as, as le- at least as athletic as Demarius Randall, who, who tested very well. Don't forget that. As, as poorly as he played last year, he's still a very good athlete. King is as athletic or significantly more so than Randall, and he's four or five inches taller. The only comparable physical talent or physical uh, profile to King is Ladarius Gunter. And if you think King is more athletic than Randall... He is leagues ahead of where Gunter is in terms of his speed or or quickness. Jones, meanwhile, is taking over for Micah Hyde, presumably kind of playing that that hybrid safety linebacker corner sort of role, playing all over the defense. The big knock on Hyde was a, a great player, had great ball skills and knew where he fit within the defense, but he was just not super athletic, a little bit slow, not the quickest guy in the world even though he knew where he was supposed to be at all times. So the Packers can plug those guys in and be at least more athletic than the guys who were there previously. And down the road, they probably have a higher ceiling than the guys that they're replacing or at least moving to different positions. So I think they will help both this year and hopefully then in two, three, or four years when you're starting to look at the end of Aaron Rodgers' time in Green Bay. Speaking of the end of that time, we're going to be talking a little bit more in depth about perhaps the end of the Aaron Rodgers era. But first, I want to make you aware of a couple things that we have going on on the site and a couple ways that you maybe could support the power sweep. As you know, we mention this every week. You, the listener, yes, you, I'm talking to you, are the reason that we do this. We started the power sweep because we thought there were like-minded Packers fans out there, and we have found them. You are doing a great job of, of reading our articles and listening to the podcast, doing everything that we would ask of you. 
just at the absolute basis level to support the power sweep. But if you find what we're doing to be a value, we're going to ask you to do a couple more things if you would consider it. Uh, first, share everything that you read. If you see something that you like on our site or hear something that you like in the podcast, don't be afraid to share it. That will help more people find the site. Second, sign up for our email list. It's really easy. It takes you maybe five seconds to do on thepowersweep.com. You'll see the box on the right hand of the homepage. Type your email address in there. You'll get a helpful reminder email every time a new podcast goes up, as well as a couple of highlights of what's been going on on the site throughout the week. Third, if you'd like to take a little bit more of a, a monetary way route of supporting us, we would certainly not turn that down, but don't kill yourself doing it either. We set up a profile on the website, patreon.com. That's where you can give a little bit of money to people who produce content like us at thepowersweep.com. But if you're giving more than you would find yourself noticing if it just dropped out of your pocket, please don't. We're just asking for the basis level of support there. But if you would like to throw a little bit more our way, maybe we'll, we can give you something in return. We've set up a shop at Spreadshirt.com with some great-looking sweatshirts and T-shirts and stuff like that that Gary has designed. They look great, and you'll be able to look good while you support ThePowerSweep.com and all the things that we're doing here. Again, we do this for you. We are thankful for you reading and listening and interacting with us on social media. It's been great to have you along so far, and whatever you do to support us, we will be very, very thankful. All right, on with the show. Gary, I didn't mean to get too heavy-handed earlier when I talked about you know, thinking about our own mortality when it comes to the career of Aaron Rodgers. But unfortunately, it's a fact. At some point, and I am interested to hear your reaction to this very strong take that I am about to offer, but at some point in the future, perhaps the not-all-too-distant future, Aaron Rodgers will no longer be the quarterback of the Green Bay Packers. Your thoughts? I don't believe well, it's it. Going to happen. I don't want to and believe it. The unfortunate it. thing is that it happens to everyone, and it's probably going to be sooner than we would like to admit. This is not something that is 10 years out, more than likely. It's probably something that is within six to seven years. Uh, Brett Favre was 35 when the Packers drafted Mr. Aaron Rodgers. He turned 36 during Rodgers' first season, and he played pretty well until he was 39, then came back for another season at 40, and things kind of went south. Rodgers is going to turn 34 this December. He's heading up towards his mid-20 or mid-30s, the age at which Brett Favre started to, to really think about retirement. So how do we evaluate where the Packers are and where Rodgers is in regard to, to where they go from here? Do you think the Packers, Gary, are, are already thinking about this sort of thing a little bit? I do, John, and and for two reasons. First, uh, trading up to get Brett Hundley a few years ago, uh, though it was the fifth round, that's still making an investment in in a player who uh, who can who can step in and and start a few games for him. Ultimately, the clock started running on Rodgers when he tore when he broke his collarbone, and you saw just firsthand how this team was quite different without Rodgers. So you trade you, you trade up for Hundley, and then second. The rumors that swirled this year, whether they were true or not, of the Packers' interest in Deshaun Kaiser at the top of the second round. I, I think both of those point to me that the Packers, uh, though they know they have a really, really good quarterback and one of the best, and Aaron Rodgers know that the end so is the, the good on the news horizon. is that 
generally quarterbacks don't have some sort of long decline. Um, people have low tolerance for poor quarterback play in the NFL, and you should, I guess. If you're going to have low tolerance for play at any particular position, it should probably be the most important one. Generally, quarterbacks who do play into their uh, late or mid to late 30s don't really have this sort of long period of decline. I looked at at the numbers this week, thinking that I was going to be able to pinpoint some sort of situation where, you know, when so-and-so hit 35 or 36, things started to go downhill. That's really not the case. And that's good news for the Packers and really any team around the league that has a quarterback who's kind of in that age bracket. Generally, it's kind of what's called a self-selecting group. If you're good enough to be a starting quarterback, as long as you can physically do the things that any quarterback would do, you're going to continue to be basically the player that you always were. So you might see the yards per attempt or completion percentage drop a little bit, but really not a whole lot. So there is the good news. And that means that even if there is some sort of decline, it's probably not going to be that bad. Now I think, and Gary, I'm interested in your take on this, that the Patriots could actually be an interesting example of how the Packers could be run when it, gets to the point where Aaron Rodgers is going to retire maybe in two years or a year rather than five to six years in the future. What are your impressions about how the Patriots have operated in in the recent past before I give you kind of my grand theory? Sure. Well, I do know that the Patriots have, have done a really good job of moving on from their talent maybe a year or two before it's time for them to go away and they've gotten great return on their investments. Think of guys like Richard Seymour, the talented defensive lineman who was traded to Oakland or Logan Mankins, who was traded to Tampa Bay. Uh, there's, there's a number of guys, Mike Vrabel, uh, the linebacker who played a, a really key role on some of those early championship years was, was traded to Kansas city along with Matt Castle, New England, typically, uh, gives up gives up trades their their older players a year or two before their expiration date that they perceive and so far they haven't been burned on it i i like that idea and as hard as it is to to come to grips with the reality is most more likely than not Aaron Rodgers is going to play professional NFL games with a team other than the Green Bay Packers before that his career That would be is interesting over. to see but i think something that's that's also interesting is how the Patriots have really transitioned from, oh, retooling, well, as the Packers have done, or as the Packers seem to do, trying to be competitive this year, but also the next two or three years. The Patriots aren't worried so much about three years from now when Tom Brady is 44. They're worried about putting their most competitive team on the field this year and maybe next year. I think it'll be interesting to see if the Packers start to approach that that question in the same sort of light. Because right now, they they build for now and the future. At some point, the future is here, and, and the window is legitimately closing. As great as Tom Brady was last year, there's no reason that he you should expect him to decline this year either. It's just math. He doesn't have seven more years in him. He has maybe three or four, more likely one or two, because at some point he's probably going to want to do something else that doesn't involve getting tackled very hard. Uh, each and every week. So Gary, you did a little bit of work too on on when some older school quarterbacks or quarterbacks throughout the years have started 
started to decline or or maybe went a different direction from their teams? Yeah, so I think one example that Packer fans have been have been very uh or that would would know quite a bit is Bart Starr in the in the 1960s Bart Starr uh finished his Packers career in 1971 and pretty much instantly transitioned over into the coaching uh realm. His final few years weren't all that um weren't all that that impressive and and in his final 1971 season he um, he, he, he really barely played only attempting 45 passes. So that, that's a bit of an example at that time, uh, you know, quarterbacks weren't expected to play that long and in, in, in NFL players, it's, it was just a different era. If we take a look at, at someone who is maybe a bit more, more recent, we look at a guy like Joe Montana, uh, Montana played with the 49ers and a, and a guy that, uh, Rogers really, uh, really looked up to as a kid from 1979 through 1990 really would be the, the two, his, his time as a starter. And then in 91 and 92, uh, Steve Young had taken over and then spent two more seasons with the Kansas city chiefs. Ultimately, John, you can look at a lot of different, uh, quarterbacks from different eras. Peyton Manning was, was one where while he won a super bowl in his last year, it certainly wasn't an effective last season uh John Elway for being a great quarterback wasn't necessarily a a, a, a superstar or a world beater in his final few seasons you got to surround those old veteran players at the quarterback position with some some real talent or or otherwise you know those those shoulders yeah, well, just the shoulders specifically don't make is it interesting anymore. because it was it was things like arm injuries and shoulder stuff that really derailed almost all of those guys that you mentioned a couple other names on on your notes here I, i'm privy to to some behind the scenes stuff here were johnny unitas uh, dan marino uh, and peyton manning you mentioned at least two of those three guys were known to have i don't know i guess in baseball you would call it a dead arm but they didn't have the arm strength that they had anymore at the at the start of their career that they did at the end. And in Manning's case especially, it came on very quickly. If you look at his numbers from 2014, they're basically in line with what he put up during his final season with the Colts. He didn't have as many pass attempts, but all the, the efficiency numbers were there. So like yards per attempt was pretty good. His completion percentage was pretty good. His quarterback rating... Uh, about the same, pretty pretty solid stuff. But then in 2015, it all came off the rails. He he couldn't push the ball downfield. He wasn't completing passes. The, the, the range of passes he could complete was dramatically reduced. And the accuracy, Gary, the accuracy, I didn't believe it when I look back at these numbers. There were only two games in the nine regular season games, the, the 10 regular season games that, that Manning played, in his final professional season where he completed more than 65% of his passes. That is from a guy who the previous decade didn't have an entire season where he completed 65 or fewer percent of his passes. That was, it was just unbelievable to me. So I guess the, the decline when it does come, it comes very, very quickly. So don't worry about a long, slow decline, I guess, when it comes to the career of Aaron Rodgers. I'm going to ask one question that's going to be very speculative, Gary, but Ten. if you had to put a number on it, how many more seasons does Aaron Rodgers play in Green Bay? 
10 more. That is very optimistic. I, I will go less than that. I would say six more seasons. But really, I guess we have no way of knowing. I would prefer the 10 seasons, but maybe it'll be closer to the six. At any rate, while I've got you here, Gary, I'm going to throw another name at you. Who doesn't? Do you remember a, a gentleman by the name of Tory Gurley? Who doesn't remember the great Tory Gurley? I bring him up because he was supposed to be the the next big thing for the Packers around 2012 or 2013. Big wide receiver out of South Carolina. It did not work out that way. He and another guy named DeAndre Borrell found themselves victims of the buzzsaw that was Jarrett Boykin. That three-way wide receiver competition saw both Borrell and Gurley bounced out of Packers training camp, in Burrell's case, out of the league. But Tory Gurley is still playing football today. Here is the laundry list of teams that he has played for since he left the Green Bay Packers. So he suited up for the Vikings in 2012. Then the Raiders, the Buccaneers, the Chargers, the Ravens, and the Browns. Then he moves to the Buffalo Bills and just keeps heading north, suiting up for the Toronto Argonauts, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, and the Ottawa Red Blacks of the Canadian Football League. He's actually done pretty well for himself in Canadian football. 98 catches for just about 1,400 yards and 15 touchdowns over his past two seasons north of the border. Gary, what is your favorite Tory Gurley memory? I think my favorite Tory Gurley memory is uh, just how everybody was going bonkers for him and assumed that he was the next Donald Driver, was the next Javon Walker, that you could just pencil him in for a career's worth of MVP and Pro Bowl uh, sightings. And, and, and just like that, he was gone. Didn't quite work out that way, but he will always live on in our hearts. Gary, I think that's about a show for this week. I think it is, John. If you uh, would so care to do, you could check out our website, thepowersweep.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. We are at The Power Sweep in both locations. If you'd like to reach out and send us a note, you can send us an email. We are thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. All of your feedback helps John and I make Blue 58 and The Power Sweep better and helps make all of us smarter Packer fans. And smarter Packer fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. For Gary Zillavy, I am John Meerdink. We will see and hear you next week on Blue 58.